This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the quarantine ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 601 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. We're coming up on the end of the year here, Joe Patrick, so we need to start gathering our best of, raking it into a pile, all those comics, and then we'll jump in them like leaves and whatnot. I am your head number one, and my name is Matt Bomb. Sounds like a real chore, to be honest. We care nothing for condition here, so it's not that big of a deal. All right. We're messy readers. And I'm the other head sharing a... (laughs) Yes. And I'm the other head sharing a body in this cursed existence, but you might know me better as the Internet's Joe Patrick in this senses shattering episode. We'll be reviewing new comics from the last two new comic Wednesdays, December 9th and December 15th. After that, we're going to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. And finally, we lost a great one this past week, so the comic pushers will be holding a wake for the late, great Richard Corbin. So put on your favorite reading duds and prepare to forget about the nightmare that has been 2020 for the next 45 minutes to an hour because it's review time in the cigarette. This week's pile of new comics is full of spacefaring mutants, cannibal post-Americans, haunted punk rockers, and out-of-work bat colorists. Matt, you're head number one this week, so why don't you start us off? My first review this week is of Batman Black and White, number one from DC. Creative team, well, there was a bunch of them, so we just call them various. I had no idea that this was coming back, right? Did you see any fanfare for this or promos or anything? Yeah, I mean, they announced it. Man, I don't don't remember hearing anything about this. That said, glad it's back. Batman Black and White was an anthology that followed the Dark Knight, written and drawn by some of the industry's most talented... Minus the colorists, of course. There were four volumes, the last of which was way back in 2014, and I loved them all, including the statues inspired by the series. So I was thrilled to see this bad anthology was making its return with an equally impressive lineup of creators. The comic leads off with a story by James Tinney and the Four with art by Trad Moore that just defies description. It's times like this where I realize how stupid it is to have an audio-only podcast about comic books because it is a visual medium. Moore's paneling was sublime, and Tinian's story about one of Rachel Ghoul's assassins trying to land a single punch on Batman was just excellent. J.H. Williams then tells Moore to hold his beer and pencils a series of splash pages aping art from some of Batman's most talented creators of yesteryear that is just mind-blowingly beautiful. Emma Rios does a short prose piece that was a little hard to follow, but again, gorgeous. And then Paul Dini and Andy Kubert tell an almost heartwarming story about Ninja Batman finding a home. But it was G. Willow Wilson's script and Greg Smallwood's art on a story that shows us the softer side of Killer Croc that really stole the show here. This was Excellent. And I'm giving it a massive buy it. Oh, absolutely. Like I loved black Batman black and white back in the day. Oh, and it was so good. This was a really 
um, welcome return to the concept. Like, you know, when, when DC said, yeah, we're bringing back, back Batman black and white. And I thought, eh, is that really necessary? I would argue right now. And now it's, yes, it is right. Dealing with yeah, the bat right, exactly. mess that we're in. This was great to just look at like, Oh look, it's Batman fighting crime in Gotham. No bullshit. Nothing else going on. No interdimensional garbage. Just, Batman being Batman. <laughs> yeah. You know? They're going to do a similar thing with Superman uh, coming up in a couple months that I don't know that we'll talk about in the news this week because it's just kind of a minor announcement, but it's a uh, Superman red and blue, which is that they've done that before. Haven't and, they? No, not that I know of. It's, it's going to be a, a very similar to Batman black and white, like monochromatic or I guess duochromatic um, anthology series of Superman stories done by superstars in like just just using those spot colors and i love that sort of thing especially when it's done really well um i i thought that this issue was spectacular it gets a huge buy-in for me uh and to take nothing away from the guy because i think he's super talented and i love his work normally the worst part about this is the cover by greg capullo which is really nothing special yeah I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's it's just this, it's just this generic Batman pose that yeah. really could use some color. It's good, but, but it, uh, yeah, yeah. This was a phenomenal issue. It's a huge buy. It absolutely check this out, especially if you're just a fan of classic Batman being Batman stories. Like you said, there's yeah. no like Joker War. There's no Perpetua. You know, he doesn't ha- he's not wearing a suit of armor and, and fighting a, a god. It's it's just Batman doing what Batman does, and it's amazing. My first review is of Sword number one from Marvel. That's an anagram. It stands for Sentient Worlds Observation and Research Directorate or something like that. <laughs> I didn't look it up and they don't really mention it. I don't think (laughs) Marvel finally does the smart thing and brings writer Al Ewing on board for their ever expanding X-Men rebirth. This series reinvents the concept following hints of total disaster revealed during the 10 of swords event. Now S word is reborn as an agent of Krakoa in space though. Recently reappointed director Abigail brand doesn't necessarily see it that way. Long forgotten mutants like Wizkid and Peepers <laughs> not only make their return, but are treated with a level of reverence that they have never before received. The scenes with Magneto being so happy to see Peepers really warmed my heart. <laughs> uh, point of order Wizkid and Peepers sound like the two most perverted mutant names in the book. So, I mean, eye boys it's there true. too, I it's guess. True. But yeah. Wizkid and Peepers, they sound like they shouldn't no, be no. around Wizkid, children. Wizkid and Peepers, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something. Their, their powers are different. Now, there are typical Hickman shenanigans afoot with walls of text and quote unquote systems in play. If the five on Krakoa have mastered life and death, then perhaps the six stationed on the peak can master time and space. Things get super cosmic real quick. And it's all an amazing thrill ride. Thanks to stunning artwork by Valerio Schiti and Marte Gracia. I've been looking forward to Sword for a while. It absolutely did not disappoint. It gets a buy it. Yeah, and I think Al Ewing did what a lot of other writers that are working on Xbox cannot do and matched the tone 
that Hickman has on his X-Men. It's odd. It's a little awkward. It's super sci-fi. It's crazy deep, you know, but it's also not him doing Hickman. It's still very much Al Ewing. Whereas some of the other creators are doing books we like are just like, well, we're going to do our thing over here. This works really, really well with directly with Hickman's X-Men. I loved it. I love the X-Men in space. I love this weird group of mutants. Fucking random is here. And man, <laughs> I don't love random, but I do love the discussions we had about random back in the day when we just tried to decide what exactly random is shooting out of the guns that he manifests with his mutant powers that if you don't know, it's poop. he can turn his hands into guns. Well, what do they fire is the logical question. We decided it was poop. What else could it possibly be? <laughs> right? Probably waste. Yeah. I, <laughs> no, this is great. Huge buy it. Excellent addition to the X-Men line right now. Loved it. My next review is of Homesick Pilots, number one from Image. It's written by Dan Waters with art by Casper Wingard. In the mid-1990s, California local punks have nothing better to do but play derivative three-chord anthems and burnt-out buildings until the cops come to shut things down. But Amy's band, the Homesick Pilots, want to play a show at a local haunted house. And as the story goes, it once trapped a local homeless kid and drained him, leaving him dead of organ failure, complete with fingernail marks in the walls. But that's just the story, right? Waters' script paints an authentic feel for the 90s crust punks here and creates a legitimate feeling of dread centering around the house, but it's Wingard's art that takes center stage, his thick blacks, his off-kilter panels, and violent motion pull this story in frantic and sometimes bizarre directions. Homesick Pilots, it's weird. Don't get me wrong. It's a great period horror piece though with a fantastic haunted house plot with a crazy twist I'm giving it a buy it yeah uh this book is tons of fun uh, and it is super creepy and i love casper wingard mm -hmm. i think his art is phenomenal and it just gets better every time i see it dan waters is a writer who i've liked uh he's also written some stuff that i found completely obtuse like coffin bound yeah. But he also wrote um, one of the Sandman Universe books, and I enjoyed it. Um, and so I, I liked this a lot. Uh, again, Casper Wingard, it's yeah, it's just such a joy to look at. This is a buy it for me as well. I, you know, I don't really have a, a connection to the whole, like, youthful 90s punk scene or whatever the hell. Yeah, and it is uh, super duper creepy uh dan waters has a book coming out from vault next week it also looks completely fucking terrifying <laughs> yeah uh so look forward to that uh it's got the cover's got uh, this dude like he's either creating or looking at an art installation and the art installation has these severed fingers like coming out of the walls yeah he's a, i think he's a crazy and person it's disgusting and i think he's heavy into some super creepy like borderline fetish horror and i'm into it <laughs> i think it's cool <laughs> yeah no uh, i i think that i think that he's got a i think that he's got a mind for horror where he can take things like you know a haunted house and do something unique with it yeah and does that and in yeah. the first like five panels where you just like what is going on 
holy crap, is that a giant walking haunted house? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And then, yeah, like by the time they actually get to the house and you realize, you know, obviously everything has been real this whole time. It's just like, yeah, it's, 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 it's so fun. Uh, it is a total buy it for me. I loved it. Next up for me is bite sized. Number one from artists, writers, and artisans. Another week, another attempt at a new title from AWA. This time it's an all ages tale from Cullen Bunn and artist Nelson Blake. The second bite sized has all the hallmarks of cute alien robot movies from our childhood, you know, Batteries not included, Flight of the Navigator. Uh, there's a little bit of like Super 8 in there, though that's a little bit more modern. A force too powerful to be contained escapes from a government facility only to find itself in the presence of an innocent family that doesn't understand what they're dealing with. This is a perfectly serviceable story with decent art by Nelson II, but unfortunately, it just takes too long. It takes too long to get anywhere. Bun's script calls for pages and pages of silent activity as the robots travel. Uh, they find that the robots have chewed through all their machinery. Yeah, it's nighttime in the in the family's house, and the dog is reacting to weird sound. It's just like half the issue is just like nothing, like no actual forward movement. And cute as it might be. As the family dog tries to get the better of the alien visitor, uh, by the time the issue ends, we're not really that far ahead of where the story started. And so as fun as the action might be, I'm afraid it just takes way too long to get to any sort of point. Uh, so I just don't know that I'm that interested enough to come back. Uh, Bite size number one is a fun and familiar idea. It just meanders a little too long for its own good. I'm giving it a skim it. You know what this felt like? This feels like it was a script that Bun wrote for either like a TV show or perhaps a movie because it's absolutely derivative of all the movies you named. But this feels like it was a script he had written that didn't get picked up. And he said, uh, yeah, screw it. I'll I'll try it in comic book form over at AWA. Right. Why not? And. Yeah, I agree. It it felt- You say that kind of shit all the time though. You say that kind of stuff all the time. I mean, I don't know like, anything. Oh, this just felt like some other project that he had in a drawer somewhere, which oh. doesn't really mean anything. But what I'm saying is it no, what I'm saying is it felt like there was a lot of storyboarded stuff here that would have worked in a movie but doesn't necessarily work in a comic book. You could do those scenes in a movie with music swelling behind them and the robots traveling and things happening and quietly showing us stuff. Yeah. And it would work. That's and maybe why, like broken up into individual issues. Yes. It, the pacing is off. It doesn't work because it's not a fucking movie. It's a comic book and you got to give us something here, man. And they didn't. This just felt like it was a script to me that was storyboarded and meant to be filmed, but not so much meant to be a comic book. I'm giving it a skim it as well because it is cute and it is well thought out, but it didn't work. It just didn't work in comic book form. That's why I'm guessing this was written as some kind of treatment. I don't know. I, I, I can't back that up. That's the I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, I guess. <laughs> it's what I'm saying. Because Cullen Sure, Bunn, I hear you. Or maybe, you know, maybe it was maybe it was meant to be a graphic novel, you know, that had more then, room to breathe. Even but like then, as a, as an individual chapter, it's it's it doesn't work. But even as a graphic novel, if this if that continued, I'd get 
really fucking bored after a while. So <laughs> I don't know. I skim it for me. Next up for me is The Expanse, number one from Boom. It was written by Karina Bechko with art by Alejandro Aragon. This is set between seasons four and five of the hit TV series, now at Amazon. Christian Avasarela, the former longtime secretary general of the United Nations, has found herself relegated to Luna after losing the latest elections, and she doesn't plan on going down without a fight. So... When Bobby Draper, a former Martian Marine, brings her intel on an intergalactic black market weapons ring, Avarasala sees a chance to reclaim her former political position of power through a clandestine operation. But as Draper digs deeper into the secret cabal, she soon realizes the threat they pose is far larger and closer to home than either of them ever imagined. Now, I just read you the solicit. And I did that because that's exactly what happens in this comic book. I am just about caught up to where this is in the TV series. I didn't realize that this was taking place between seasons four and five when I picked it. So I was a little lost, but it is basically just an episode of the series. I'm a huge fan of The Expanse in both the James S.A. Corey books and the TV series. But there were some issues here with the art that just kind of took me out of the feel of the show. And that's not to say that Aragon's a bad artist. Quite the contrary. He's very good. But his style, it, it just didn't work for me here. While very expressive, it was just too loose for this kind of sci-fi story. The Expanse isn't Star Trek or even the Wild West of Star Wars, but there's a very cold, hard sci-fi style that was developed by the TV series that Aragon just has trouble capturing. Bechko's script was excellent. It was tone perfect. She's obviously done a lot of research here. She's a big fan of the show, and it shows. But the art just didn't work for me. And I don't necessarily think it's his fault either. I think whenever you go into a situation where you are developing a comic book based on a TV show, that's got to be extremely difficult. Not just because we're expecting to recognize characters and stuff like that, but we all have an idea how everything looks and feels already. So you're not developing the universe. You're trying to make the universe translate to comics. And I just don't think it worked really well here. I'm giving it a skim it. Uh, I chose not to read this and that's because I also love the expanse <laughs> and I'm only on season two and I didn't want to spoil it for myself. Uh, even though I realized like, I'm not, I'm not going to remember anything you just said. And the biggest spoiler, uh, and by I the just, time I finally I read get, out loud. So. <laughs> sure. And I won't remember that, but like I, I, I read the solicit and and we did not uh, do picks of the week uh, when we recorded our drunk show because we were, uh, were airing them out of order. But my pick for this week was going to be The Expanse. And then I realized it was set between seasons four and five. And I'm like, oh, shit. Well, I can't read that. Yeah, I didn't even look at the solicit. So I, I abstained. And I started reading it. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and then I went, OK, I got to finish season sure. three, apparently. <laughs> or season four. Pardon me. Uh not being caught up on the source material did not stop me from reviewing Black Cat number one from Marvel. Uh, I've heard nothing but great things about writer Jed McKay's run on the previous Black Cat series. So this pandemic-induced relaunch seemed like a great place to check it out. 
Oddly enough, it's also a King and Black tie-in issue, but the creative team, including artist CF Via, roll with it perfectly. Felicia and her crew are in the middle of a heist when the heroes of Earth fall to Null's invasion, and she has no choice but to get involved. While she's inspired by the leadership of Captain America, Felicia falls back on the skills she knows best and plans a cosmic heist to save the day. Placing a character like Black Cat in the middle of a crossover like this is patently ridiculous. But I loved how McKay and Via dealt with the larger storyline. It is true that there are things that will be a little unfamiliar to new readers like Felicia's crew and what their deal is and references to the previous volume, but none of it is a deal breaker. And it only made me want to go back and get caught up. I'm not too familiar with artist CF Via, but their work was excellent here. Uh, For a long delayed return forcibly tied into a crossover, Black Cat number one does a spectacular job getting readers interested. I'm giving it a huge buy it. It's great. It really is. And Jed McKay's first series on Black Cat was also great. It was fantastic. Very much under the radar. And I feel like Jed McKay was a guy that was around for a little while at Marvel and seemed like he was going to be kind of a bigger name, but then sort of fell off and came back, if you will, and has just quietly written some really good comics. He was working on that Taskmaster series, too, that we really liked. And I forgot that was even him. This is fantastic, though. And the things like you said, you know, okay, she's got a crew of guys now. Well, that's not that weird. Of course, Black Cat might have a crew of guys. She's a thief, and they're all thieves, too. The art was fantastic. This is by far the best King in Black tie-in that I've read. You know what I mean? The others have felt really tacked on. This one, like, she's right there. She's with the Avengers in New York when this is going down and, like, watches them lose from her point of view. Yeah. Which is right out of the pages. She's actually, she's actually under, the, she's actually underground trying to, like, catch a convoy of loot when the Avengers lose. Yeah. <laughs> and so when she emerges from the rubble, Captain America's like, oh, thank God you're here. Well, and she also emerges from the rubble directly into King and black in number battle, one, yeah. you know, like it, it's yeah, like right a drag, there. a dragon falls through the street on top of the, uh, yeah. on top of the convoy. But it, yeah, this is great. And I'm glad the series is still around because it's got a lot of fans and Jed McKay is doing a kick-ass job on it. I'm giving it a huge buy. It. Yeah. You know, I gave Jed McKay kind of a bad rap at first because the only thing that I, I, the first thing I remember him writing, it was, it was called man without fear. Yeah. And it was the series that came between Mark Wade and Chip Zdarsky, or no, Charles Soule and Chip Zdarsky's runs on Daredevil. It wasn't and I great. I didn't care for it much. It was not great. There's things he's really good at, and but, I don't think Daredevil's one of them. When you, when he's writing sort of a tongue-in-cheek character, not comedy necessarily, but a character that doesn't take themselves as seriously as say fucking Daredevil. Yeah. Daredevil is a deathly serious book. And Chip Zdarsky has has had stuck a little bit of levity in there where he can. But still, it's very dark and very dour. And Jed McKay, that's just not what he does. He was really good on that Daughters of the Dragon series that he wrote. He was – that Taskmaster series is fantastic. Um, Alpha Flight, I loved that, I True loved North. I love that Taskmaster issue. He wrote that Alpha Flight, True North miniseries in last year. 
that I really liked. <laughs> so yeah, he's a, he's a very talented writer. He's just good at what he does. My final review is of Post Americana, number one from Image. It is written and drawn by Steve Scross with colors by Dave Stewart. This is set in a post-apocalyptic future that's equal parts Mad Max and hyper-violent Looney Tunes cartoon as a group of rich fascists led by a Christian nationalist who survived inside a mountain bunker prepares to retake America from the roving gangs of cannibal maniacs that rose to power after Doomsday. That's all you need to know. Scross is one of my... It's kind of like, a, it's kind of like if, um, if there was a secret cabal... Of like quote unquote normal Americans waiting for the dust to settle so that they could rise up and reclaim the earth from the people from crossed. Yeah, no, more or less. Yeah. This is the story of what if the world ended and the Trump administration rounded up all their rich friends and said, Don't worry, we have a mountain bunker. We'll go wait it out and then we'll come out and retake America when it, or, or or fix the world when we're done. Steve Scross is one of my favorite artists. He works with an attention to detail unmatched in the comic business, except for the likes of artists, perhaps like Jeff Darrow. And here he does not disappoint. Each panel is packed with utter madness, whether it is cannibal gangs wearing cargo shorts or RoboCop inspired gang leaders with massive wrist mounted cargo cannons. <laughs> The only yes, the cargo shorts. <laughs> the whole oh gang God. had cargo shorts on. It was bizarre. <laughs> the only problem is the script. It just gets lost in all the artistic lunacy. As much as I love Scross's maniacal detail, his storytelling needs to be reined in just a touch. This is an amazing comic book to look at, but the story comes off as a borderline psychotic reaction to four years of the Trump administration. I can only give it a skim it. it. It's artistically, I can't say enough of how good this guy is, but I think he needs a little help in the story department. Yeah. You know, the, the last thing that I remember, first of all, we've been over this. I like to pronounce his name like Jim Croce. Scroce. So I call him Steve Scroce. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know if that's right or not. But uh, the last thing he did on his own was called Maestro, and it was sort of like a magical, uh, like a a, a source, sword and sorcery magical sort of comedy thing. And it was okay. Uh, again, looked beautiful, but like I couldn't really get past the first couple issues because he's not the strongest writer. No. God bless him. Uh, <laughs> God know? bless him. Uh, but like when he like when he worked with Brian K. Vaughn on We Stand on Guard, I was like riveted to that St shit. Yeah, stunning. This is you know it's outrageous. It is. It's got you know it, it's. <laughs> if this was an image, if this was um, Avatar or something, you know, it would be like. Over the line vile, probably. Sure. As it as it stands, it's already pretty uh, straddling the line, pretty close. Yeah, there there's like uh, a panel of like three dudes that have butt vibrators. <laughs> they're wearing so. <laughs> yeah, like I, I I was just flipping through it again, and I got to the page where they get to the camp, uh, and uh, of uh, you know, Mad Max style mutant whatever freaks, and yeah, there's a guy wearing a like a VR helmet with a what can only be described as a 
a diaper with an anal dildo attached to it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like gesticulating wildly and it's just like, well, come on now. <laughs> um, he's doing his thing, you know, but whatever. He's into he's, it. Yeah, you know what? Hey, I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum, you know, yeah, do what no you got to do. Love is love. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's silly. It's fun. It's beautiful. I don't know that the writing holds up, you know, beyond more than a curiosity. Yeah. So I'm also giving it a skim it. Rounding up our reviews for this week, it's Superman number 28 from DC Comics. Brian Michael Bendis' run on this particular Man of Steel series ends in this issue with a bang? After several issues fighting an all-new yet slightly generic alien menace, this finale sets the final battle against narration by Lois Lane and Lana Lang that talks about Superman's true nature. I will say that the kind of unknown nature of the new adversary did add something to the story. Uh, it's totally alien, you know, and that's a big theme throughout the storyline. Like Superman doesn't know who they are. It, like they're from beyond charted space. The right. Fortress of Solitude can't recognize them. They're not recognized by the United Planets. It's also very similar to how he started his run too. No, the start of the run was like Rogel Czar and stuff. Yeah, but he had, but Superman had no idea who Rogel Czar was. He was a completely unknown alien that showed up. That but, was it, like, but at least that guy was like tied to Krypton. Like, like people, I suppose people in the know knew who Rogo's all was, but Superman didn't. Okay. Fair enough. So uh, I have to admit as much as the action it itself did not do too much for me, the writer's take on what makes Superman special did. The trick to appreciating Superman isn't his immense power or what he does with it. It's that Superman needs humanity as much as we need him. In general, I think Bendis is better at delivering fresh takes on existing characters rather than creating new ones. Like if you look back through this run and his action comics run at like the original villains he's created, I'm like, okay, red cloud lady. Yeah. Dog faced alien guy. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, whatever. Like, give me, where's, where's his, like, where's his, like, crazy toy man story, you know? <laughs> That's what I want to read. No, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so I do wish we had seen a little bit more of that during this run. But one thing he did was help restore Superman's iconic nature that I feel that DC let fall by the wayside. Like, despite what you might say about who he fights and some of the dialogue choices and some of the story beats, this Superman felt like Superman all the way through. And I really appreciated that. And I hope that this run is remembered fondly in the future. I'm giving Superman 28 a buy it. I do think this run is going to be remembered fondly. I, Bendis did such a wonderful job of returning Superman to that Superman that we recognize from that is not to say that he was like wearing spikes on his shoulders and killing people or anything, but Superman was in a really weird place before Bendis took it over. But I also agree that I don't think we're going to be revisiting any of the new villains that he introduced because they just weren't that compelling. I, I don't think anybody's going to be interested in dealing with them except for Bendis. Probably not, but they did serve to tell a good Superman story. So if you want to say that we loved what Bendis did with Superman as a character, 
maybe it was better for him to use these weird villains that he invented to give us those moments as opposed to Toy Man or Brainiac or whatever. I, I don't know. I would have liked to see a little more of that too. I'm giving this a buy it. I think his run was fantastic. I loved it. I'm not going to remember the names of the characters yeah, I mean, that he invented like, later I, on. I, I just not. But they did serve to tell a wonderful Superman story that reminded me of the Superman that I love. Well, and I can't say enough about Ivan Rice. Like that guy can do no wrong. Oh this yeah. Book, this well, book I mean, come on. Is beautiful. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Ivan Rice. I mean, whatever. Put him on any book, and I'm in. So that's almost not even fair. <laughs> the guy's so good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so which book wins, Joe? What was the best book you read from the last two weeks in this pile? Of you know, I I feel kind of bad picking it, considering all the new things we tried this week. But it's got to be Batman Black and White. <laughs> it was so good. I don't disagree, and I don't think you need to feel bad. I think we're in a position right now where, and look, I really like James Tinian's Batman, you know, book that's his ongoing that's going right now. But this was just nice. This was like curling up in a Batman blanket. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it was the Batman that I remember. It was wonderfully illustrated. It, there was nothing you had to know. Just go in, have a good time with four different Batman stories. I will say the Emma Rios one was a little wacky, but it was beautiful to look at. And I agree. I think it was the best thing I read this week. Room crack! Whack, 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 whack! That does it for reviews this weekend. Room crack! Whack, 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 whack! Is the sound of a Master Ning's Viper Strike as seen in the pages of Firepower number six. Oh, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Jeff Overfield via Matt Baum's personal Facebook. Yeah, I was like, Jeff, send it to THN. He's like, oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. He's so excited about this book, though. He's like, I love it. Now, here's the thing. And this is not a Hollywood insider thing, but it's kind of a Hollywood insider thing. Jeff Overfield. Of course it is. This book was uh, this book was going to be a movie before the comic even came out. Yeah. Jeff Overfield, like, is in the director's, you know, guild. And David Fincher paid for him to go in there. He works with David Fincher on the regular. So if he's reading this, I'm saying there's a movie coming. <laughs> <So> <laughs> if you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Better yet, call us, make the noise, tell us where it came from, and we will play it on the show. That's it for reviews, and now it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Hanukkah is here. And again, we're lighting the menorah and preparing our livers for the annual THN Drunk Show. Joe Patrick, I trust you've stocked the bar with Manischewitz of the Blackberry and Concord Grape varieties. So, maybe we'll just have a little taste first to get ready and tell these nerds what they should be reading next week. Baby, you know I did. Uh, my pick for next week is Action Comics number 1028 from DC. Uh, again, written by Brian Michael Bendis. This one is drawn by John Romita Jr. with inks by, I'm sure. <laughs> why are you saying Klaus it like Jansen. that? Why are you saying it like that, Joe? You know you why. You love John Romita Jr. It's 32 pages for what's, $3.99. What's wrong, Joe? <laughs> I love John Romita Jr. I hate the inks by Claus Jansen. I'm sorry. Here's just a listen. 
the powerhouse creative team of all those people I just said wrap up their run on Action Comics with House of Kent epilogue with the final fate of Metropolis's underworld revealed at last it's time for each member of the House of Kent to face their unknown futures head on including Lois, Connor, John, Kara, Jimmy, and of course, Clark Kent. He's Superman. This standalone Superman story connects threads from Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane, Superman, Justice League, Legion of Superheroes, and other unforgettable series in epic and unexpected ways. So this is Bendis's... This is Bendis closing the book on his time with Superman... And, uh, you know, I, I, as much as I loved the main Superman title, uh, I also really did love the invisible mafia story yeah. in action comics. It was great. Uh, and, uh, the, like uh, it, it, it meandered a bit, a little too long there when they got into that whole Legion of doom thing that tied into what was going on with justice league and the I cosmic st- I still liked door it. and all that shit. I still liked it. It was fine. I mean, that's where, that's where the th- things went off the rails with the art though. And it's like that, Cat-faced gorilla grad. <laughs> Even but, cat-faced uh, might be like too nice. <laughs> a stretch, honestly. right? Yeah, he looked more like a Sasquatch. Yeah, uh, but like all of the stuff with the Invisible Mafia and Mama Leone, and uh, how how things have ended with um, the FBI raid on the Daily Planet and who ends up buying it, which is uh, again tied to some of the other books that are mentioned in the solicit. I won't spoil it. Uh, it's a delight and I'm very excited to see how it all wraps up because uh, I've just really enjoyed these past couple years on Superman, on the Superman titles. And um, yeah, say what you will about Bendis. He came in and I think he did a great job. He killed it. And quite honestly, I feel like between the announcement that he was leaving in to him leaving now, I feel like it was really fast and I still don't understand why, because it seems like, not that there's like a bunch of stuff they still need to tie up or whatever, but I feel like there's so much more he could have done. So I'm curious to see what happens next and why it's tied up now, you know? Well, uh, you know, they had to get it to a spot. They had to get it to a spot to wrap up in time for future state. That's fair. Which starts next month. Okay. That's fair. But he also could have given Bendis a couple and, months um, off. Right. And been like, yeah, we'll see you after future state's done or whatever. Well, <laughs> You're Brian they Michael have Bendis. already announced the new writer of Action and Superman for post-Future State, and I'm not super pumped about Who it. Who is it? I didn't even see that. It's Philip Kennedy Johnson. Oh, your boy, Philip Kennedy who, Johnson. Uh, <laughs> uh, who we, we know best as the writer of Empire Captain America. Yeah, we just talked about that recently. Which is awful. Huh. Yes, we did. Yeah. Um, however, I will say this. In the announcement on Newsarama today, they had an interview with him and he said all the right things. Yeah. And so maybe we'll see. Maybe like Marvel's given this guy aliens. DC is given this guy Superman. Maybe we just don't know him yet. You know, exactly. And, you know, that Empire, that Empire book was a a, a throwaway tie in, a three issue thing. Right. Like it's it's probably not a good barometer of his abilities. Yeah, I feel like. He's giving he's being given jobs that are too big for him to be as bad. And I'm with you, but for him to be as bad as we think he is. So maybe we just don't know him. Like there's something. Yeah. Like he, he there's something there that we are. We have not seen yet. Right. 
There's a there there, if you will. <laughs> so <laughs> There's a there there, yeah. My pick for next week is Firefly, Blue Sun Rising, number one for Boom. It is written by Greg Pak with art by Dan McDade. Now, here's the thing. Boom does this thing where whenever a comic book is more than 36 pages, they want to charge like eight goddamn dollars for it. And I, I, I get it. Times are tough. Printing well, costs normally money. Normally that's IDW. Yeah. Well, Boom has been doing IDW it too. IDW is the one that does the $8 books. This is the first time I've seen something like this from Boom. No, Boom's been doing it too. Definitely. IDW and Boom both. So I don't know if they're printing at the same place, but this is 40 pages for $8, which is a lot. I almost feel like that's got to be a typo. <laughs> no. 40 pages. Right? That uh, I hope it's a typo and it's not correct. <laughs> it does seem crazy expensive though. But with that said, Greg Pack has been doing such a wonderful job on this Firefly series. And I caught up on the last two limited series he did, which is leading into this Blue Sun thing. By the way, the reason I started catching up is because I read a thing that Disney Plus is looking into no. relaunching Joss Whedon's Firefly. Yes! They're, no. They're in it's early- not. No, that is not reputable. Uh, maybe it's not reputable, but it was reported by a few different unreputable sources so <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but it excites me either way here's your solicit it's the end of the first ever firefly event and now everything changes shocking losses lead to stunning decisions as mal and the crew of serenity must face the consequences of their choices in war against the blue sun corporation the verse is changing in ways no one ever expected and a new chapter of firefly begins here it's just been so good and i love greg pack and i love dan mcdade and i love the firefly universe and i am super upset about some of the things that happened in the last series but not in a way that i'm gonna stop reading it so take that as you will fair (laughs) the thn trade elite goes to hawkeye freefall trade paperback from marvel comics it's written by matthew rosenberg with art by Otto Schmidt. It's 136 pages for $17.99. And here's your solicit. Who is Ronin? When a mysterious and ruthless new Ronin starts tearing a destructive path through the city, suspicion immediately falls on Hawkeye. But Clint Barton has more to worry about than who's wearing his old costume. After a clash with the hood ends badly... Hawkeye takes on a new mission that places him in the crosshairs of one of New York's most dangerous villains. But Clint and Ronan are on a collision course, and only one will walk away. As things around him get ever more dangerous, Clint is pushed to make some tough and probably really bad decisions. With everything falling apart, can he find a way to get through this crisis with clean hands, or will he be forced to return to his criminal ways? This features Spider-Man, Daredevil, Captain America, and more of Hawkeye's avenging allies and collects Hawkeye Freefall 1 through 6. So the reason I picked this, other than uh, that next week is Christmas and it's kind of a slim week, uh, is that this was a really fun series that got interrupted interrupted in midstream due to the pandemic. Yeah, this was not Matthew Rosenberg's fault. And in fact, no. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that the last couple issues never actually came out in print. Um, and no, yeah, they so did. I really liked this book. Marvel went back on that and they did. No, they didn't come out in print. They came out digital. No, but Marvel went back on that and they did print them because Marvel first said it's oh, only okay. going to come well, out in digital. And then later true. on, people freaked out and it did come out in print. 
but yeah, it, this was a really fun book. Uh, it went on a long, hi- just like black hat, you know, it went on a really long hiatus. Uh, it did you know, like, didn't make any sense to relaunch it cause it's a five issue or six issue mini, but, uh, yeah, Hawkeye Freefall, total blast. Otto Schmidt is great. You know, uh, that guy, he's got this kind of bizarre, uh, dynamic, uh, like James Heron, uh, exaggerated scratchy style that I really like. And I think it's worth reading. Yeah. Otto Schmidt's a total badass. Rosenberg wrote the hell out of this. It got completely buried because of COVID and because of uh, it, like all printing was shut down for a minute there and shipping was shut down, it, which is too bad because this is one of the best Hawkeye like minis that I've read since Christ, the, probably the fraction and Aja stuff. This is great and pick it up. It was a super fun read. Hawkeye's got a TV show coming. Get excited. Go pick this up. Not just that. Be sure to pick up all these comics so you can read along with us and let us know what you're reading too. And while you're at it, you can find our complete review list every Wednesday on our Twitter and our Facebook if you want to read along with us. But don't be a jerk. Remember, you got to pre-order these comics and anything else that you plan on reading. It's terrifying right now. We've got COVID flaring back up. The holidays are here. Comic shops are in trouble. They need your help. Pre-order your comics. It's the right thing to do and the smart way to do it. Diabetes. Diabetes, diabetes, diabetes. I'm your <laughs> Last week was a sad one in the ziggurat after hearing about the death of comics legend Richard Corbin at the age of 80 shortly following heart surgery. Corbin was an amazing visual storyteller who had stories featured in Eerie, Creepy, and Vampirella, before being featured as the only American artist in the first issue of Heavy Metal. At the time, Heavy Metal was mainly reprinted stories from the French comic magazine Metal Hurlant that featured stories from masters like Mobius who were pushing the limits of comic storytelling. Corbin would go on to paint the cover of Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell record and the poster for Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise From there, his comic work would continue until literally weeks before his death, so it only seemed right to do a Comic Pushers segment to celebrate the life and work of Richard Corbin. Matt, make your recommendation. I came on to Corbin pretty late, and now I didn't know it at the time, but if you watch the old heavy metal movie, there is an animated feature about Den, and Den is like... Some nerd, skinny little dork reading comic books that gets turned into like Den, barbarian of outer space fantasy with hot chicks and he rides a pterodactyl. And John Candy does his voice in the animated heavy metal movie. And Den was massive in the 70s and kind of paved the way for him along with a lot of other crazy talented fantasy artists. My first real exposure to him sadly was Hellblazer. (laughs) I didn't really know him very well. Like I'd seen his stuff around here and there, but it was Hellblazer number 143 through 148. This was from DC Vertigo back in the year 2000. It was Hard Time was the name of the story written by Brian Azzarello with art by Richard Corbin. At the time, Azzarello was taking John Constantine out of the UK and had him on this tour of the US that of course ended up with Hellblazer serving time in a maximum security prison. (laughs) Like any good Hellblazer story, it was horrifying, feel-bad comic storytelling in the nightmare that is an American prison 
all too realistically drawn by Corbin with incredible covers by Tim Bradstreet. They don't write Hellblazer comics like this anymore. And if you're not, if you don't know Corbin's art, it is extremely visceral and realistic, but in this uncanny valley kind of way, sort of like the Polar Express was very realistic and it's CG, but there's just something wrong with the characters. So even people that are- And I I don't agree that it's realistic. I think that it's so exaggerated to the point of being upsetting. I mean, but he captures this like- terrifying humanity like in all of his characters it's like everybody everybody um it's like all of his humans look like very disgusting muppets sort of yeah they're kind of rounded. like their skin has this their skin has this texture yeah and but there's like, something it, it's so human about it that like when they're just standing there having a conversation it's kind of disturbing when terrible shit starts to happen it's mind-numbingly terrifying <laughs> and i loved it yeah and you know what i have to admit i think hard time was probably my first exposure to his work as well um i know that he had a graphic novel that came out uh from vertigo it was an adaptation of house on the borderlands yeah uh that we sold a lot of copies of but i never read it i think that was after this though I think that was Maybe. after Hard Time, I'm pretty sure, as I recall. Because I picked it up because of Hard Time. I wouldn't have taken another glance at it otherwise. That storyline is really something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll jump ahead on mine because I realized I didn't put the years in. Uh, so we'll go in chronological order. My first recommendation is of Banner from Marvel Comics, which is also uh, written by Brian Azzarello. Uh, this was the inaugural series uh in a line that marvel launched called startling stories and it was sort of like continuity it was sort of like a like almost vertigo takes on on superheroes yeah. you know it was very adult it was, this was for the max line right um i don't believe it was max but it was it, it it was kind of its own imprint startling stories yeah no not max but uh it, they were adult. this came out in the early 2000s back when uh, marvel had like abandoned the comics code and uh, they were doing all this kind of experimental stuff like ecstatics. And, uh, you, you know, they were doing like Tangled Web of Spider-Man where you might have an issue that's like, yeah, this could fit in continuity. And then you'd have a totally completely bonkers issue where it's just like somebody being weird. Yeah. Uh, like that Darwin Cook, you know, Christmas issue, which, which obviously was just very silly. Right. Uh, Starling Stories was sort of that. It's like here, it's a it's a bizarre story about the Hulk. And it, uh, of course, like all Hulk's good Hulk stories do, it explores the tormented mind of Bruce Banner. Uh, he, aware of this destruction brought on by his alter ego, Banner is now facing the military bent on destroying him. Uh, again, the themes are nothing new when it comes to the Hulk, but the way they're explored, thanks in large part to Corbin's chilling art, are unforgettable. Uh, something I will never forget, it's the cliffhanger, of one of the issues, Bruce is recounting a suicide attempt. Yeah, where he puts a bullet in his mouth, he pulls the or he puts a gun in his mouth. He pulls the trigger. the The page goes black, and the next thing you see is the Hulk with his mouth full of blood, spitting out the bullet. Yeah, and I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> it was terrifying. Yeah, and I like that was, yeah, it was just like. 
you know, like there had been other stories back in the day, like uh, towards the end of Peter David's run, he did a, 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 a story like after Betty dies the first time he's like, he tries to kill himself a bunch of times and the Hulk always prevents it. Yeah. But that was the first time I'd ever seen anything that graphic. Well, it was also the, like and, the first time we got the uh, idea yeah, it, that it's like the Hulk could just come out any second he wants to instantly, you right. know, it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if the Hulk wants to Hulk, the Hulk's going to Hulk. Right. My next pick is of Hellboy, the Crooked Man. This is a three-issue limited series from Dark Horse back in 2008. And I remember when it was announced that Richard Corbin was going to draw Hellboy, I just thought, no way. That's it's not going to work. Like, Magnola was one of the only people I wanted to see doing it. Duncan Fergredo had done a little bit and had done a great job. And I liked it, but I just didn't think that Corbin would work at all. The good news was... This story sees Hellboy investigating a bewitched little girl in Appalachia right here in America. So we got to see a different kind of Hellboy story, whereas Hellboy, I mean, I guess it was a pretty big departure for the usual Eastern European Hellboy stories we were getting. Corbin's horrifying art is perfect for this tale of American witchcraft borrowed from the old world, but featuring a skinned woman that's inhabited by an animal and the devil himself, who the locals refer to as the crooked man. There's all these like in, oh, it's so creepy. Inbred hill people <laughs> living like in Appalachia, dealing with poisonous witch balls and stuff. And Hellboy is there to investigate something else and sort of stumbles into this other character that Magnola admits in an essay in the beginning of the trade paperback very much inspired the character of Hellboy. So it was Hellboy meeting this mythological American character that inspired him with terrifying art by (laughs) Richard Corbin. I love this series. It's collected in a trade paperback called The Crooked Man and Other Stories. Go pick this up if you haven't read it. It's terrifying. My last pick is also from Marvel. This one goes to Punisher The End from 2004. It's written by Garth Ennis, who at the time was, you know, the go-to Punisher guy. This is from the Max line. Uh, which means it's no holds barred. And the premise of the the end, uh, which was kind of a thing Marvel was doing back then for multiple characters, is basically uh, here is a story about this character at the end of their life cycle. Like what would happen to Spider-Man when he was on his way out? What right. would happen to the Fantastic Four on their way out? The logical um, end of each character, basically. Well, logical. Usually it was an excuse to do the most outrageous, like <laughs> yeah. Chris Claremont's 18-issue treatise on the end of the X-Men. Okay, well, that was different. I think Chris Claremont was the only sure. one where they were just like, God damn it, Chris. Can you just not help yourself? Like, <laughs> everyone else gets a one-shot, Chris. Right. Come on. Yeah. So Punisher the End takes place after World War Three has come and gone and humanity is almost nothing but ashes. The only man left alive to punish those responsible for killing the world is Frank Castle. And not even a radioactive hellscape will stop him from completing his mission. Uh, I'm going to give you spoilers for a 16-year-old one-shot that is not in continuity. <laughs> Uh, in a very similar situation to post uh, Americana, which we talked about earlier, 
um, all of the American fat cats have locked themselves in a bunker uh, somewhere while the world burns. The Frank Castle finds out where they are, how to get in there, and he ends up murdering everybody despite the fact that they are literally the last people living on the face of the earth. Not important. And so at the end of Punisher, the end, the last person alive is Frank Castle as his organs are boiling (laughs) due to like radioactive poisoning. And he has basically ended humanity because humanity, what was left of it, did not deserve to live. Yeah. But I mean, like, it is such an amazingly powerful one shot and such a perfect distillation of what Frank Castle is, he's a monster. Yeah. And like, you know, even in the face, like despite the, even in the face of like, yes, these, these are terrible men that have done terrible things. The world is over because of what they've done. Frank is like a Frankenstein. He stops at nothing. Yeah. They even try to, to reason to with him. They're go. like, we're all this left. Don't you understand that? And he's like, I understand that perfectly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yes. Uh, and it's, oh God, it's so good. Yeah, it's a wonderful uh, And of story. course, Richard Corbin. It would not have worked as well as it did without the artwork by Richard Corbin. Because his interpretation of a, like a septuagenarian punisher with his skin boiling off of his face is something that like I think of on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. I can't say enough about how talented Richard Corbin is and what we lost. It, it's one thing to be an artist who draws pretty pictures and that and that is very difficult. I'm not taking anything away from that. It's another thing to have a certain vision and style that is not only instantly recognizable but burns itself into your memory. And Corbin is one of those artists. We lost a giant of fantasy art. Rest in power, Mr. Corbin. And thank you for all the nightmares that you caused me (laughs) through your comics, your paintings, your album covers, and every line you ever drew. An amazing artist. We really lost somebody special. Excelsior! That is it for THN 601! Next week, get ready for the annual Hanukkah Drug Show, where the Cosmic Long Box returns, and we are talking about children, super kid teams, specifically. Because when two grown men get drunk together, of course, they talk about little kids. Their thoughts go to children. Yeah, why not? Until such time, Joe Patrick, give these nerds a new question of the week. This week's question was submitted by Trevor via the forums. I recently watched the Harrison Ford, Michelle Pfeiffer horror movie, What Lies Beneath, and was surprised to see the writing credit for Clark Gregg, a.k.a. Phil Coulson, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Have you ever seen a creator credit that took you totally by surprise? Love this. This will be a fun one. Yes. And hey, now we are uh, getting towards the end of the year. Uh, but I still need those question of the week suggestions. So keep them coming on the forums, on the Facebook page, to our email, via Twitter, carrier pigeon. You know what to do. Yeah. 
Cover to Cover is back every Saturday at 10.30 Central Standard Time live on our Facebook page, and it's the new home for our nerd news segment. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an email with your mp3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You could be internet famous. Uh, if you're going to send a recording, please try to keep it two minutes or less. Uh, we've got a lot of air to share with all of the other nerds that want to play along. If you're new to this show and you would rather expose yourself to such radioactivity as to make your guts boil out, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN or digital long box over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like THN cover to cover stalwart, Mr. James Kaplan. We love that. Is he a doctor? It's Dr. James Kaplan, right? He's an attorney. He's an attorney. James Kaplan, attorney at law. If you've been wrongfully injured in an accident, you need to call attorney at law, Dr. James (laughs) Kaplan. He's a lawyer doctor. The guy's incredible. He's a real ambulance yeah, chaser. Yeah. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to legendary X-Men writer and frequent THN punching bag, Chris Claremont. Marvel had a big uh, 2021 Chris Claremont anniversary special planned, uh, but it had to be delayed. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was supposed to come out in 2020, uh, but it's been delayed till 2021 because Chris broke his hand. And unlike Joe Patrick, who broke his goddamn arm, can't seem to figure out that he can uh, use voice to text to write as well. So, hmm, just saying, calling you out, Chris. Look, <laughs> yeah, man. I, I hope I, you have a speedy pretty, recovery. It ain't pretty, but you can do it. <laughs> yeah, and I hope we hope you have a speedy recovery. Of course. Yeah, where do you, Mister Claremont? Thanks. Uh, you know, we, we 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 tease, but thanks for everything you've done. Until, and we hope you get well soon. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just swap out your entire pull file with a bunch of new Chris Claremont comics. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. <laughs>